stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. Welcome again to The Long Road Home, episode two in our two-part series on greys and great alien abductions. Great aliens. How you doing, Emily? I'm doing great. I'm ready to learn a little bit about uh, great alien abductions. What about, awesome. what about you? How are you doing? I'm feeling ready for the end times. Yeah, yeah, you've been, you've been pretty amped up, huh? Yeah, definitely. If you're listening to this post-apocalypse, we're here with you for the long haul. <laughs> We're going to figure out a way to get this to you, no matter what. I'll carry it to you in a backpack if I have to. <laughs> Just please like my content. I'll train ravens to send it to you please. via scroll, the transcript. Content is king, even post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> well, anyway, this is episode two. Welcome to it. But before we get going, we would like to take a second and just recommend a documentary that we saw the other day to you. Yeah, you know, we've been doing we've been doing a lot of research trying to make sure that we have as much information, as much accurate information to bring to you guys mm-hmm. as, as we can. And and so we're watching a lot of things. We're reading a lot of things. And one of the things that we <laughs> we watched was The Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs. And let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, it is one of the most endearing documentaries i've seen in a long time so pleasantly surprised you know when we first turned it on i wasn't sure what we were getting into especially with that introduction there where it's just um clips of his ufo sightings um (laughs) (laughs) and he's just going holy shit holy fuck Fuck, did you look at that man what the fuck what is happening did you fucking see that do you see that over there tell me you see that man tell me you see that fucking shit Draws, did you see it? Did you see aliens too? Oh, oh no. Hello, everyone. We're back. Don't know if you noticed, but our dog heard something. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, that's what happens when you're recording in your one bedroom apartment with your two yep. with your two doggos. There's so much space here. That's, what, <laughs> that's my favorite thing about my apartment is all the space. So much room for activities. Mm-hmm. So the curse of the man who sees UFOs follows a guy named Christo Rapolo and his claims to have been videotaping and communicating with UFOs for several years in Monterey, California. It's a great, great movie. It is just, um, the guy seems so wacky at first, but then you learn about him and his story and how he came to be in Monterey and the things that led him to that point. And a lot of the footage that he has got is he's so genuinely invested in. And it's just, it becomes a beautiful story. Hundreds and hundreds of videos. Just, yeah, so, so much. And the whole thing started when a, a guy named Justin Gar got a bunch of film sent to him when he picked up a job from Cristo. He didn't know him at all at the time. They've now they're very close friends. I don't really want to say anything else about it other than go watch it because it was really, really heartfelt and got me teary-eyed. I never in my life thought I would get teary-eyed over a wally-looking man who just loved aliens. You will laugh. You will cry. Go watch The Curse of the Man Who Sees UFOs. Uh, Yeah, 100%. Go watch it right now. Turn this off. Go watch it. Come back. And speaking of people who see UFOs, this week we're talking a little more in depth about alien abductions and encounters. To clarify, gray alien encounters Mm -hmm. and abductions. And this week we're going to be starting out with the first ever documented gray alien encounter slash abduction. We're going to circle back on over to Antonio Villas Boas, who we talked a little bit, we touched we touched briefly on in episode number one, but um, I, I have a lot more to share with you about his encounter. So let's let's circle back on over to Senor Antonio in Brazil. Brazil. Um, he he himself had a very, very interesting encounter. And, oh. and I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to tell you I'd like to tell you more about it. So um, Antonio, the year was, again, the year was 1957. It was October 16th. He was uh, a farmer and working at night to avoid the hot temperatures of the day. He was plowing fields near, again, bear with me, Sao Francisco de Salas. Sao de, 
San Francisco de Sales. Sure. The year was 1957. It was October 16th, and Antonio was working at night to avoid the hot temperatures of the day. He was a farmer in Brazil, you see. <laughs> okay. Nope. Brazil. <laughs> no, we're going to say that again. Okay. Antonio was working at night on the farm to avoid hot temperatures of the day. The year was 1957. It was October 16th. Um, so he was plowing fields near Sao Francisco de Sales when he saw what he described as a red star in the night sky. According to a story, the star approached his position, growing in size until it became recognizable as a roughly circular or egg-shaped aerial craft with a red light at its front and a rotating cupola on top. What is a cupola? It's essentially like just a dome on the top mm, of the ship. Gotcha. The craft began descending to land in the field, extending three, quote, legs as it did. At that point, Boas decided to run from the scene. So he just, he sees this craft coming into the the, the field that he was plowing. It was, it was night. It was hot. He was just trying to get his job done. And this... <laughs> Red glowing egg orb comes out of the sky and lands on three legs um, in the same very field that he's working. So uh, apparently at first he attempted to leave the scene on his tractor. But when its lights <laughs> and engines died after traveling only a short distance. Oh, the EMP technology. Poor Antonio, man. He was just trying to get away and he everything right broke thing. down. I would so have just then, left too. But so then he hopped out. Out, he hopped off of the tractor and decided to continue on foot. Yeah, yeah. Three beings joined in first subduing Boas, and then they dragged him inside of the craft. So not looking good for Antonio here. Scary night, <laughs> to say yet. the least. Um, but but things take an interesting turn. So let's let's see what happens next. Um, once inside the craft, Boas says that he was stripped of his clothes and covered from head to toe with a strange gel. We hope you like this. It's called... It's liquid. <laughs> it's called Kawa Jelly, baby. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. So he was then led to a large semicircular room through a doorway that had strange red symbols written over it. Later, uh, he claims that he was able to memorize the symbols and he, he depicts them. Again, check out the Insta uh, and you'll see you'll see the the images that Boas remembers. But in this room, the beings took samples of Boas's blood from his chin. After this, he was taken to a third room and left alone for around a half hour. During this time, some kind of gas was pumped into the room and it made Boas uh, violently ill. That's shitty. So <laughs> do you remember, did you ever, when you were younger, have people like stick, God, how did they even do it? They like put a lot of suction on your chin or somewhere and they'd make like a big raspberry. You have a hickey on your chin? I've had a hickey before. Is that, is no, that essentially what we're no. talking about? I mean, kind of. Yeah, I, I mean, guess. essentially, that's what it was. We just used to like do it to one another, but not with our mouths. I don't, I don't you know, know I think how we did it anymore. I think it's not with your mouths. <laughs> just sucking on each other's chins. It'd be so weird. Well, no, it's interesting that he he says that they they withdrew blood that they withdrew blood from his chin because something else happens to his chin here a little bit later. Essentially, he <laughs> was brought into a ship, stripped naked, covered in gel. Um, then they took blood from his chin and then they threw him in this other room, gassed him, and he became violently ill. Shortly after this, he claimed that he was joined in the room by another humanoid. This one, however, was female, very attractive, and also naked. So she was the same height as the other beings he had encountered with a small pointed chin and large blue cat-like eyes. Again, remember, we, we said this earlier, but it's just worth restating here. The hair on her head was long and white, similar to platinum blonde, and her underarm and pubic hair were bright red. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> like my women. So um, <laughs> Boas said he was strongly attracted to the woman and the two had sexual intercourse. So it doesn't say in this uh, Wikipedia article that I, I'm referencing now, but in another article that I read, it does say that they had intercourse twice. Hell so yeah. good for Antonio. Oh, Antonio. And then look, it says she they didn't kiss. They didn't kiss, but she nipped him on the chin. Nipped him. So clearly the chin She's is just barking is, the whole time. Me, 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 me. 
But clearly the chin is significant in their um, alien culture. I'm not sure what it means to them, but it's like again uh, with the chin. Again with the chin. Men you in know? black. He's a ball chinian. <laughs> I don't know that. Nothing. Reference. Okay. Yeah. No. I, I watched Men in Black, Ignore. but I don't. I don't know if I'd be able to remember any quotes from Men in Black. It's a fist fight. I know it's hypocritical. I'm sure. No, no, no. It's just it, it's one of, it, I can't remember which one it is now, but they're like in a huge fight with this alien dude, and he's a ball chinian, so they just fucking hit him in the chin because that's where his balls are. That's uh, the joke. Like, like Peter Griffin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. um this next part is also is also interesting and worth worth noting. When it was all over, the female smiled at Boas, rubbed her belly, and gestured upwards. <laughs> Boas took this to mean that she was going to raise their children in space. And However, that child was part, David Bowie. This part's pretty unfortunate here. The female um, aw, seemed relieved that the, quote, task was over. Um, and this actually, this upset Antonio. You know, he kind of, he felt like he had done a good job. So he himself said that he felt uh, angered by the situation because he thought, you know, um, I had been more than a, quote, good stallion to the humanoids. <laughs> I did so. <laughs> oh God, my covered in jelly. So you know she. Yeah, you know she. Do the deed is right. done. The deed is done. Number two, go around. They go around again. You know, and she she smiles at him kindly and and probably pittingly. I guess we can we can infer and rubs her belly and points at the sky and then just goes like, Phew. I'll call you. Glad that's over. Uh, it's not you. It's me. Can't do anything right. Poor Antonio. Yeah. Boas said that he was given back his clothing and taken on a tour of the ship by the humanoids. During this tour, he said that he attempted to take a clock-like device as proof of his encounter. But unfortunately, he was caught by the humanoids and prevented from doing so. He was then promptly escorted off the ship and watched as it took off, glowing brightly. Just covered in goop. Covered in goop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you came twice in a short period of time. Unfortunately, though, it was not enough for his alien counterpart. He tried to steal something and was was given the boot. What else do you do when they're not impressed? You just take something well, and leave. I, I mean, you know, I'd want something for my time. I think at that point, if it was not appreciated, yeah. I'd be I like, demand. Okay, I need payment. Then. <laughs> I demand. Payment. I mean, I'm just saying. Um. So when Boas returned home, he discovered that four hours had passed. Wow. That's Um, a lot of sex. You know, Antonio, though, he goes on to to bigger and better things. He he later becomes a lawyer and he gets married and he has four kids. Uh, He stuck to the story of his alleged abduction for his entire life up until the year he died. uh, 1991. Wow. Sounds like he really turned his life around. He really did, you know. He he didn't. He didn't, he didn't let that stop him. He didn't let that stop him. He he held on to his strong stride and and just kept on trucking, you know. But mm-hmm. he he definitely had an experience of a lifetime. So that is our abduction number one story, Antonio Villas Boas. Um, Chad, would you like to tell us a little bit more about Betty and Barney Hill? Yeah, definitely. So. I pulled most of the information about Betty and Barney Hill from a book called Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. And I think I mentioned it earlier. It was written by Stanton T. Friedman and actually Betty's niece, Kathleen Martin, which I thought was really interesting. She devoted a lot of her time to talk about Betty's story. So the Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney was employed by the United States Postal Service and Betty was a social worker. They were both active in their Unitarian congregation and they were both members of the NAACP and Barney was very involved with civil rights at the time. So the Hills had planned a vacation to Montreal and had left on September 17, 1961. They brought along their dog named Delcy. Their vacation was very short-lived, however, and on September 19, 1961, they had decided to head back home because of a couple of reasons. The, The first was Barney had gotten lost in Montreal and was having trouble deciphering the French signs. He had got turned around twice, and so instead of going into Montreal like they planned, they had been driving east, and Barney was looking for a hotel at that point that would accept Delcy. They had also heard that Tropical Storm Esther was heading up the coast, and they were very concerned about their home. So they decided that night that they were just going to head back. They would be getting home at approximately 3 a.m. according to their watches. 
The next part comes directly from the book. Betty's interest was aroused by what she at first thought was a falling star until it suddenly came to a stop in the southwestern sky. As it inched its way upward, she thought she was taking in her first observation of a satellite. Her father was excited about the space program, frequently venturing outside at night to search the sky for satellites. When it left its even even course, ascended towards the moon and stopped, Betty's curiosity peaked. This unique craft so sparked her curiosity that she insisted that Barney stop at the side of the road in order to look at it himself. She was dumbfounded as she observed it take on an unconventional, erratic flight pattern and travel across the face of the moon. By the time she handed the binoculars to Barney, the object had again changed course and seemed to be rapidly descending in their direction. So at this point, Barney wants to play it off. He's very conservative thinker. He's realist. And he doesn't see this as anything unusual yet. Yeah. Barney's like, no, that's a plane. Exactly. That's so, fine. It's a plane. Yes. So <laughs> as he drove south on Route 3, Betty and Barney were awestruck by the perplexing object. It rapidly changed direction, ascended and descended vertically, and hovered motionless in the sky. Uh. <laughs> This enigmatic phenomenon both piqued Barney's interest and confounded his sensibility. His intelligent, no-nonsense attitude left no room for the nonsensical belief in flying saucers. So, at this point, he's, like I said, he's playing it off. He's trying to be cool about it. Doesn't really seem, he's trying to be nonchalant. Doesn't care. Um, but, as they continue to go down Route 3, the craft seems to be following along. And it starts to concern him. Now, as they motored around a slight curve near Indian Head, a natural granite rock formation resembling a Native American profile, just south of the narrow valley through Franconia Notch, they entered a wide expanse. Almost directly in their path, the couple encountered a flattened, circular disk hovering silently an estimated 80 to 100 feet above their vehicle. So at this point, Barney does become concerned. He brought the car to a halt in the middle of the road. He grabs the binoculars. He opens the car door and... Quickly, in an arcing movement, it sh- the craft shifted from its location directly ahead and rested above the treetops in, a- in an adjacent field. Barney grabbed Betty's handgun and walked over towards it. The craft was huge. It was probably 60 to 80 feet in diameter, and he observed a double row of rectangular windows extending across the rim. Now, as he approached it, two red lights at the end of the fin-like structure parted from the sides of the craft, and it tilted towards Barney. So during hypnosis, we find out towards this point, he feels locked in place and he can't move. Um, it's, it's almost as if one of the people inside the craft is telling him to stay where he is. Uh, yeah, so he heard that in his head. Really interesting. He is able, however, to escape the grasp of whatever has him, and he runs back to the car, and he tells Betty, we got to go. They're coming for us. And they, they drive off. As they take off and they're running down the highway they suddenly hear these rhythmic buzzing tones that seem to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle and they sensed a penetrating vibration this happened once a little further down the road it happened again after that everything gets very fuzzy for betty and barney their vague memories of encount- of encountering a roadblock of seeing a huge fiery red orange orb resting upon the ground and feeling a desire for human contact that preoccupied their thoughts they looked for an open restaurant to no avail, so they drove on through Concord, picked up Route 4, and made a beeline to Portsmouth, expecting to arrive at approximately 3 a.m. The hills were surprised to notice that as they crossed into Portsmouth that dawn was streaking across the sky. Turns out they were not home until approximately 5 in the morning, or a little afterwards. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, so a couple hours off track. Yes. So when the hills got home, they felt very unusual. They decided to take a shower... They retrieved some of their personal articles from the car, and they went to sleep to just try and feel better. So when they woke, they decided that they were both going to go into different rooms and draw what they saw and see what they looked like. Turns out they were very similar to one another, according to them. There were also some very strange things physically that were off once they woke up and had done this. The first was that Betty's new dress had been torn pretty bad oh girl bummer i know that phil yeah not great uh dresses the dress had been torn pretty bad i thought you were saying that it was bad that it had been torn either way either way it's not great yeah do do we have any descriptors on on we will soon okay Uh, i'll let you know i'll let you continue yeah you get into it first there were several highly polished half dollar sized circles on the trunk of their car 
Betty's dress had been torn in several places, and Barney had what they called pickers or burrs stuck to the sides of his pants, which that could be attributed to him wandering through the woods to get a better look at the vehicle. Or <laughs> that could be attributed to that could be attributed to him wandering through the woods to get a better look at the UFO. What that could not explain, however, was the tops of his shoes were badly scuffed, and they were his good dress shoes, so there was no reason for them to be that way. Noticing all these strange things, Betty decided to confide in her sister Janet, who in the past had also claimed to have seen something strange in the sky. She explained to Janet what happened, and Janet... She explained what happened... Janet listened and told her that she would reach out to some some people for help and see what she could find. So am I correct in, in saying that Janet herself had witnessed a UFO or a, an identified flying object? Yes, she had in the past. I can't remember when exactly off the top of my head, but she had not only her, but some other people that were with her. I think it was her neighbors saw something floating erratically through the sky that was, seemed blimp-shaped to them. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Really weird. So Janet does reach out to some people, and she ends up contacting uh, the wife. She ends up contacting the wife of a physicist that she knows. After speaking with the physicist, the wife comes back and tells her to place a compass in different parts of the metallic car and see what happens. Betty takes their advice and grabs a compass and goes out to the car and starts to stick it all over the car. When she does the compass starts to spin erratically. She thinks maybe she's holding it funny. She doesn't know what's going on, so she just sticks it on the car. Same thing happens. In an excerpt from her diary, Betty described what happened next. I took the compass and went out to the car. Barney refused to go, saying that he was trying to forget what happened. It was still raining, but I could see my car clearly under the streetlight in front of my home. I walked around it, holding the compass and not knowing what I was looking for. When I came to the trunk area, I saw many highly polished spots about the size of a half dollar or silver dollar. The car was wet from the rain, but these spots were clearly showing. I wondered what they were. I placed the compass over them, and it began spinning and spinning. I thought it must be the way I was balancing the compass, so I placed it on the car and took my hand away. The compass was really spinning and continued to do this. As I was watching this, I was filled with an unexplained feeling of absolute terror. I was standing there in the rain under the streetlight and telling myself, don't scream, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Everything is all right. Ooh, chilling. Yes, so this little event really got underneath her skin. Just the, You mean just this event of like discovering these spots on her car? Yes, right? and watching the compass just spin in circles on top of them. It was very just, weird. She just started to realize how how something wasn't right. Yeah, how, how, how strange what had happened to them really how Ooh. what happened to the yeah oh i just got some goosebumps just really thinking about it putting myself in betty's shoes there and the whole time her husband's inside and he's like i just want to forget I ain't touching i'm in that. denial denial of this oh leave that shit alone betty and then she's like Fuck. <laughs> oh no it was very very unsettling for her i did forget to mention that janet had also it just so happened that a police officer came and spoke with her right after she talked with betty and he told Janet that anything strange like that should be re- reported to Peace Air Force Base. And that's eventually what they did after all of this occurred. And it P-I-E-C-E was. P I E C E or P E A C E? P E A S E. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah, so Peace Air Force Base. Air Force Base. So after this, they were contacted by some very high up people in the Air Force. I'm not going to go into great detail about them because that's not what this podcast is. So my question is, though, is that do you think that they were contacted by these people because of Betty's sister or like how did how did they become aware of Betty and Barney's situation? Well, they contacted the 100th Bomb Wing at Peace Air Force Base. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. So after Betty and Barney contacted the Air Force Base, then they got in, then, in yeah, connection so, with these higher exactly up people. And yeah, the first was Major Paul Henderson. He he talked to them over the phone, asked them a, a couple of questions, um, and he was just sort of the beginning. They spoke to several people throughout the course of of this experience because of this though they were put into what's called project blue book which is the government's giant bible of ufo encounters basically Mm -hmm. i think it's important to say that barney did decide to go see a psychotherapist 
after the events had occurred. So he was already seeing somebody about this uh, during this time. Gotcha. But eventually they did decide to undergo hypnosis. They were It was recommended by a friend of theirs who was sort of an amateur uh an amateur hypnosis, hypnotist, an amateur hypnotist. Amateur. Amateur. A- amateur. Amateur. An amateur hypnotist. But he told them that he was not going to have anything to do with that. Eventually, they... Wait, no, no, no. So wait, what happened with the amateur? Oh, he's just the one that told them. So he had told them about it, but then he came back and said, but I'm, you should see a professional hypnotist. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. So they talked to him about it, and he was just like, I can't, I'm not going to do this. This is You need a professional. And that's who they found in Dr. Benjamin Simon. Now, Dr. Benjamin Simon was the person that did the initial hypnosis of Betty and Barney and brought up a lot of information from their missing time. Um, I think it's also really important to note that this guy was not a quack. He was a... Benjamin Simon was a Russian immigrant who came to the United States with his parents. He had a uh, bachelor's degree from Stanford. He had received a master of science degree in chemistry from also from Stanford. And four years later, he was awarded a doctor of medicine degree from Washington University School of Medicine. He had always had an interest in hypnosis since he was an undergraduate and went through a psychology experiment that he had volunteered for. During his psychiatric residency, he used hypnosis as a therapeutic procedure. And eventually, he found a more extensive use for it while he was a consultant in neuropsychiatry at the General Dispensary in New York. It is there that he received training in the medical use of hypnosis. During World War II, he was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. He was awarded the Army Commendation Medal, the American Campaign Medal, and the Victory Medal. So this was a legitimate doctor. He eventually developed a technique of hypnosis that put people into an extremely deep trance, and he had layers of hypnosis, gotcha. according like, to him. Like phases or stages of yes. hypnosis Yes, so you could, okay. some people were sensitive to it and could go deeper, and some couldn't. If they couldn't get into a deep trance, though, sometimes he would use narcosynthesis, which is drug-induced. Yeah. So he would use things like, quote-unquote, truth serums like barbiturates and sodium pent- pentothal. Uh, to make them go deeper. Wow. Yes. Intense. So Yeah. So he was legitimate. He had a lot of different techniques. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill did not need any sort of help, though. They, Sounds like they were pretty open-minded individuals. Yeah, they definitely were. And the, hip, the hypnotist really was able to work with them. What they found, though, during the hypnosis was some very strange descriptions of what happened to them. And I'm going to just sort of briefly talk about that. Okay. So we'll start when they encounter a roadblock, according to them. During the recall of Betty and Barney, they start to talk about a giant ball of light in the middle of the road. So that's when they stop their car, right? The number differs initially, uh, but they both describe a group of things in front of the ball of light. They split split into two groups, and they come around the car, and they pull them out of the car. Now, this comes from directly from Betty's recall. I'm struggling to wake up. I am at the bottom of a deep well, and I must get out. Everything is black. I am fighting to become conscious. Slowly and gradually, I start to become conscious. I struggle to open my eyes for a moment, and they close again. I keep fighting. I am dazed, and I have a faraway feeling. Then, I win the battle, and my eyes are opened. I am amazed. Um, she was being escorted along a path in the woods by two of the small men at that point. Now, now did she describe how she... Was she walking along with them she was not she she was basically getting drug along right I, i'm just wondering why betty's shoes weren't scuffed up i don't uh well or if they were i don't know i don't she she was fighting them i know that for a fact she was she was trying really hard to resist and they were like this is going to be easier for you and you'll get back to your car faster if you'll just come with us gotcha yes so she does look over and notices that barney is all, he looks asleep and they're drag they are dragging him mm. towards it Eventually, during Barney's recall, he states that it felt like he was floating. And he knew that he was moving, but his legs weren't moving. And this made Betty really mad. She was not happy that Barney wasn't fighting back. She was so mad that eventually she was like, well, he's not fighting, so I'm not going to fight. And that's really when she was just like, let's just fucking go to this thing. It's over with. Whoa. Yeah. So Betty, (laughs) that's a little petty, girl. You don't even. You just struggled (laughs) to get your eyes open, and now you're like, well, why did he weren't his eyes open? (laughs) harsh uh there's a lot that goes into what happens to them once they enter the craft 
we're just going to jump around a little bit through Betty and Barney's recall through hypnosis. So Betty describes this. I felt my shoes being removed and my pants being opened. And I could hear a humming-like sound that they seemed... I thought she was wearing a dress. Oh, she, uh... Wait, is this Barney? Oh, this is... I'm sorry. This is Barney. No, that's okay. I thought that I had just... Found just a blew the top major, off of I this just thing. Blew the top. I found a major discrepancy. Yeah, so this is Barney's. Uh, this is his physical examination inside the craft. Gotcha. I felt my shoes being removed and my pants being opened, and I could hear a humming-like sound that they seemed to be making. They pulled my pants all the way down to where my legs were. I could feel them turning me over and putting something in my rectum. It was like a tube. It was not painful. <laughs> what does that say about oh, Barney? Barney. I thought it was just a little larger than a pencil. I felt it go in very easily, and then it was withdrawn. They looked at my back, and I could feel them touching my skin right down my back as if they were counting my spinal column. I felt something touch right at the base of my spine like a finger pushing, a single finger. I could only hear this mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-mum-m
not an erection or an ejaculation, and no pleasure was associated with it. I don't think any of that's true. <laughs> well, because he does later state that he believes a sperm sample to have been taken. So I'm yeah. sorry, but how are you going to have a sperm sa- sample taken without a moment of orgasm? It's a special flashlight to do that. <laughs> I guess so. Or bet Barney's a little embarrassed, which I think that it's kind of the latter here. I, I in other so. in other stories that you read, I had interpreted them interpreted them to be saying that he had experienced an orgasm. So um, I don't know. This is uh, just, I'm just reading what they tell me. You're reading what his niece yeah his niece wrote his, what his niece wrote. Uh-huh. Uh huh. She probably wasn't super comfortable with this. Afterwards, uh, something did happen to him because of this and he had a concentric circle of wart life wart he had a concentric circle of wart like growth appear on his groin shortly after this encounter it was in the exact location where the cup like appliance was pressed against him and he had never before had these growths now so he he walked out with genital warts yes Interesting. So Antonio actually had a similar experience. What? In the weeks following his his encounter, he claims to have experienced different protuberances or boils or warts or whatever you'd like to call them. Now, the warts that he described, I'm not sure if we have color details there for Barney Hill, but Antonio describes his warts as having a yellow pus-filled center with a quote hyperchromatic violent tinge oh ring God. around it, so it was a purple Jeez. ring with a yellow center. Yikes! And um, that's very They weird. were painful when touched, uh, with a yellowish thin waterish discharge. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. And nasty. he encountered them. Actually, Antonio. I said he experienced that for months following his encounter. Holy cow! That's so yeah, gross. Yeah, I'll let you get back to Barney's warts, but I thought I'd just touch on Antonio's there. No, that's crazy. Um, well, he did end up having them removed. This was not a he small... He had them removed? Yeah, they were purely aesthetical. Uh, the doctor diagnosed them as venereal warts, uh, and there were 21 of them. Oh, they were three buddy. quarters of an inch each. Whoa. They were fucking huge. Those are huge. That's so nasty. Oh. Yeah, that fleshlight had not been washed in some time. <gasps> He got an alien STD? Yeah. It's nasty. Um, That's so weird. Now, I think talking about Antonio and Barney, this brings up a good point about what the Greys are doing. Um, There's a lot of different speculation. nasty germs all over (laughs) the world. Yeah. um, People think that they do a lot of this DNA collection, quote-unquote DNA selection, or DNA collection, uh, because they're making hybrids. That... It's another deep dive. It's crazy. Uh, go look Go look into that if you want to, and I'm sure eventually we'll do another episode on that as well. That's going to require some book learning because there's not <laughs> a lot about that on the internet, at least not that I can find. Now, Betty also recalled an examining room story, and this is a description of what happened to her during the time that she spent inside the ship. I have a light blue dress on, and they push up the sleeve of my dress, and they look at my arm here, and they look at my arm. They turn my arm over, and they look at it. They have a machine. I don't know what it is. They bring the machine over, and they put it... I don't know what kind of machine. It's something like a microscope, only a microscope with a big lens. And they put a... I don't know. I had an idea they were taking a picture of my skin, and they both look through this machine here and there, and then they talk. I don't know. I couldn't understand what they were saying. And then they took something like a letter opener, only it wasn't. They scraped my arm here. They scraped, and they looked like little skin. You know how your skin gets dry and flaky sometimes, like little particles of skin? They put, there was something like a little piece of cellophane plastic, something like that. And they put what came off on the plastic. The examiner opens my eyes and looks in them with a light. And he opens my mouth, and he looks at my throat and my teeth, and he looks in my ears. And then he takes a swab or Q-tip, and he puts it in my left ear. And then he puts this on another piece of material. The leader takes it and rolls it up and puts it on the top drawer. Oh, and then he fills my hair, then the back of my neck, and they take a couple of strands of my hair, and they pull it out, and he gives this to the leader, and he wraps that up and puts that in the top drawer. Then he takes something that may be scissors. I don't know what it is. And they cut a piece of my hair. They cut off a piece of it, and he gives it to them. Then he fills my neck and through my shoulders around my collarbone. They take off my shoes, and they look at my feet and my hands. The light is very bright, and so some... I don't always, my eyes aren't open. I'm still a little scared, too. I'm not particularly interested in looking at them. And uh, during hypnosis, she 
states that she she kept her eyes closed during this experience. She she would open them briefly and get glimpses of what was happening around her, and that's why her her recall is so spotty. So there is more to what happened to Betty. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit to what is known as the pregnancy test. What? Yeah. Um, this one's... I think of all the things that happened, this definitely skeeves me out the most. Betty describes a long needle. She says it was four to six inches long. Oh, there I was do a, know this one. Yeah. There was a tube attached to it, and they didn't leave it in very long, just a second. The examiner told her that she wouldn't feel any pain, but they took this needle and they injected it into her abdomen. Into her belly button, Yeah, right? into her into her belly button. It did not feel good. They <sighs> were wrong. Uh, she freaked out when they did it, but apparently the examiner came over and like waved his hand over her and she didn't feel any pain after that. A lot of people describe this as the insertion of a needle during, uh, I'm going to struggle with this, amniocentesis, which is a medical procedure now administered on a routine basis to determine the genetic makeup of a fetus. So this was sort of the last part of her examination. Afterwards, she did actually speak with the leader, who, who she believed to be the leader. This is where she was shown the map. She had a discussion with him about where they were from, where she was from. This is something that we had talked about earlier. There are some discrepancies between what she saw during her hypnosis and some she had been having nightmares but overall it was pretty much the same story she spoke with him in detail about where they were from he told her like you're not going to remember any of this Uh, she wanted to take a book with her that she had found he was going to let her but the short stubby guy that she had described as one of the uh, one of the beans on the ship got really mad wouldn't let her take it and then they were both escorted off the ship and that's where the abduction part of their story ends there is a lot more that we could go into, but that is going to be for another day. The Hills, they did try to go back to their regular lives after all this. They were willing to discuss the encounter with anyone who wanted to know, but they never tried to seek publicity. But they got it nonetheless. Eventually, Barney Hill did die of a stroke. He was uh, 46. Wow, he was just 46? He was 46 They got married old. when he was like 16. Holy shit. I believe, I think, yeah, I think that right. was accurate, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of health issues after this abduction. Now, who's to say what caused them? It wasn't a stroke, was it? Wasn't According, it a hemorrhage? A yeah. cerebral hemorrhage? Is that Maybe, the same as a stroke? I think so. Okay. You told me this, which I thought was, I hadn't put the dots together. A lot of people that have experiences like this have cerebral hemorrhages. Right. Uh, I believe it was Philip K. Dick. I, I'm just remembering this based off of another episode or an episode of Last Podcast on the Left that we had listened to. We love to. you, Last Podcast on we the Left. We love you guys. You're awesome. Philip K. Dick believes to or claimed to have had an alien encounter where there was a pink beam of light that was shown on him that imparted clairvoyance and wisdom and intelligence. And then later at an early age, I believe he was in his 50s, he died of a stroke yeah and that also led him to write do androids dream of electric sheep yeah he was he was a crazy sci-fi writer i believe that his experience with the paranormal is what inspired him to write these novels but essentially i've personally noticed or noted a, a, a trend in people that have believed or claimed to have had these encounters later it's like their brain just can't even handle it anymore. It just pops. Ah! So yeah, Barney died of a stroke, and Betty actually died of cancer in October of 2004, and she was 85 years old, and she never remarried. No. Uh, they loved each other dearly, and it's their story is extremely interesting, and there's, there's so much more to it, and the things that they saw, and the people they interacted with, and what those people believe, and there's, there's just so much. And... I hope one day that we can do a, a just very extensive look at what happened to them. So that's the summary of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction story. But obviously, there are a lot more gray alien abduction stories out there in the world. Yeah, there are tons. Actually, to be a little more specific, among reports of alien encounters, gray aliens make up around 12% of the reports in the UK, 48% in continental Europe, 
50% in Australia and 73% in the United States. Yeah, they're definitely the species that we interact with the most. That's right. They're everywhere, just like I said. <laughs> All over the place. So there's a whole lot of different theories that tries to explain what exactly these encounters are. One that's becoming more popular is basically that it is a group psychosis, kind of, or that the energy that we're putting out into the world is creating these visions or these beings, and they're manifesting themselves to us through psychology and uh, energy. So essentially, the theory is that these gray aliens are like a tulpa? Yes. I believe that's a good way to explain it. And what's a tulpa for those people that don't know? Um, okay. So a tulpa is a concept in mysticism and the paranormal of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. It was adapted by 20th century theosophists from Tibetan sprolpa, uh, which means emanation or manifestation. Yeah, a tulpa is a great way to articulate what that is trying to describe, I think, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, there's also, I mean, there's a ton. Well, one that I think is really weird is the mother hypothesis, which yeah. is, this is something I actually learned uh, during my time in college, that when you're a baby and you're looking up at people, you don't really see faces. You see images, and slowly, as you see more and more faces, you start to make connections to eyes and no noses and mouths and things like that. So that's another theory to explain what exactly we're seeing during these encounters. It's, some, it's something that we we physically can't bring together into our brain. And so it tries to fill in the holes and you end up with a gray or an alien in general. On that note, an additional theory to sort of explain away these abduction experiences is that these abductees are actually having flashbacks from a time where maybe they were under anesthesia and woke up during surgery. So oh, wow. a, a little creepy, and I can't find the exact date here, but I believe it was within a year or two prior to his alien experience, Barney Hill had a tonsillectomy. And so the theory is, is that during this tonsillectomy, he woke up while under general anesthesia to see distorted beings operating on him, squinting underneath a very very bright light etc etc so that one's an interesting theory again i would prefer to lean towards great aliens are real yes. but that is that is another theory is that these abductees are remembering these traumatic experiences of waking up during surgery no i definitely want to believe as well i i don't think that we are the only things out there it's a big big universe and i i believe that these could definitely be real events that are occurring there's, there's so many of them and they can't all be lies right that's right and and in holding on to that belief you are actually a part of the majority of americans that believe in ufos so uh interestingly enough we have seen a drop in alien abduction stories um in the last decade or so that could be because we as a society kind of have shorter attention spans these days um it could be for a number of reasons but that does not mean that there are less believers out there so Americans have actually remained pretty consistent on the subject of aliens for the last three decades. At any given moment, roughly 10% of Americans believe that they themselves have seen a UFO. In the year 1990, uh, Gallup took a poll and 40% of respondents believed that UFOs were real. As of 2015, that number has jumped up uh, 9%. So now 56% of Americans believe in UFOs. I'm not surprised. I'll, I'll believe in anything at this point. This world is batshit crazy. <laughs> what, what? Honestly, UFOs are pretty low on my list of things to believe. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that UFOs, out of all the things going on in the world, I don't think that UFOs seem pretty crazy. No, it's not that hard to believe that I those wouldn't could be, be surprised. Well, and the Navy um, just admitted that they had some footage, and I love those. There's three three videos that are, I mean, very clearly something strange is going on in them. The Tic Tac video, I think they're all from 2014. Or I was going to say, they're older videos, right? I, yeah, I thought I remembered seeing they, them years ago. They were leaked years ago, and the Navy finally came out this year and said, like, yeah, those are unidentified flying objects that our aircraft picked up. Um, they're legit. 
Yeah, it's legit, and it came out, and no one cared because uh, this world is all fucked up. Well, I mean, it's the year 2020, right? So these these stories tend to come and go. But yeah, um, for ufologists and believers everywhere, it was very exciting to see those videos acknowledged and verified. Yes, um, by our U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's it for our two-parter on greys and uh, gray alien abductions. Thank you guys so much for listening to our first two episodes. We had a blast making this, and we cannot wait to keep making episodes for you all. That's right. We have some really interesting episodes coming up, too. Our next few are focusing on spiritualities, and then afterwards we'll be looking into something more macabre. And while you're waiting on our next episode, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore LRH underscore pod. Also, don't forget, next week is our very first Twitch stream. We'd love to have some of you guys come by and watch some weird videos with us and chat about the episodes. Tell us what you like and what you didn't like. You can find us on Twitch at the LRH underscore podcast. We hope to see you there. Lastly, if you have any stories that you'd like to share with us or any comments on anything we've talked about, you can reach us at the LRH show at gmail.com. We would love to have your feedback. And be sure to give us a rating and give us a comment on what you've liked on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. That would help us a ton. We'd really appreciate that. That's right. Follow, like, subscribe, comment, question, contribute. Please like our content. Help us get the word out there. We want to keep sharing this with you all. And we have so many episodes lined up, and we want to keep doing it after that. So, yeah. We've also got some really great people that will be joining us. So, again, stay tuned for more awesome content coming your way from the LRH pod. Yeah, and thank you for joining us here on The Long Road Home. Bye. Bye. Bye.